Voices are exotic Dancers enter one by one Make love to all of your orifices In your seduction Hello and welcome to Ear Seduction. I'm your host, Paul Schilling. In this episode, we're going to discuss free will and determinism. By the end of this episode, you will know the true nature of determinism, why we cannot say we have free will, and the moral implications of these facts. As it turns out, the concept of free will is very important to our understanding of morality and our implementation of a sound moral system particularly as we consider our notion of blame. Blame is an incredibly potent human emotion. That is, humanity spends a lot of time assigning responsibility or fault of wrongdoing onto others. This assignment of blame allows for humanity to hate criminals, justifies the torture of those that are blamed, and ultimately leads to immoral social systems like our modern-day prison system. The main driver of blame in society is our notion that people choose to be bad, and they do so by employing their free will. This notion of free will and the resulting blame is largely assigned onto people despite the preceding circumstances that led to their immoral behavior. So instead of assessing what caused the immoral behavior, we blame people for their actions and punish them. And to justify this, we cite the criminal's free will, specifically that they could have acted differently. The system of punishments that these criminals are subjected to are mostly inhumane, cause great pain and suffering, and ultimately fail to address the underlying social issues that led to the immoral behavior in the first place. It's in this way that human suffering is compounded. A poorly conceived social system generates suffering to those that live within that system. That suffering is passed on to the children that are raised within that system. Those children in turn act in immoral ways, which causes more suffering. And finally, as retribution for their trespasses, the immoral criminals are made to suffer while they languish in prison. This entire cycle is based on the assumption that human beings have free will. That is to say that due to free will, we can hold people accountable for their actions and thus punish them. These punishments are set up as a deterrent to acting in ways that cause human suffering. An interesting irony when you consider how punishing people just creates more human suffering. So our society denounces suffering. And to discourage people from causing suffering, we punish them by causing them to suffer. Let's take an example. Traffic deaths are numerous everywhere we see large portions of society having to use cars to get from point A to point B. These deaths are largely avoidable. But rather than addressing the shortcomings of our traffic systems, we blame drivers and pedestrians and anyone else who might find themselves caught up in a traffic death. The causes of these deaths are largely systematic in nature and have a known solution. That solution is accomplished by engineering safe traffic systems. The traffic-related death rate in the U.S. is 12.9 per 100,000 people per year. That's about 45,400 deaths each and every year. These deaths are largely, if not completely due, to our sidewalk, 
traffic lights, roads, and zoning systems. Hence why I call these deaths systematic. You see, all these different forms of infrastructure are based on a system and its best practices. There are guides published by the government, and those guides dictate how our sidewalks, traffic lights, roads, and zoning are built. At any time, those guides can be changed to account for human safety, security, convenience, efficiency, and quality of life. And of course, the pressure to change those guides can also come from our collective moral system. A moral system like the system I'm promoting in this series, where we take action to ensure flourishing. In the United States, instead of changing our systems to address the human suffering caused by traffic deaths, we investigate the accidents and assign blame. In other countries, the Netherlands being a good example, they change the way sidewalks, traffic lights, roads, and zoning are built in response to traffic deaths. So instead of assigning blame and suing each other, they update the infrastructure to make it more safe to walk and drive. And the result is that in the Netherlands, the traffic-related death rate is 3.8 per 100,000 people per year. That's about 648 total deaths. In fact, in every possible traffic metric, the Netherlands is safer than the US. And it's because of how they engineer their sidewalks, traffic lights, roads, and zoning. As an interesting aside, they are also more efficient than we are, have a better quality of life than we do, and they are happier and freer. These metrics are all in relation to their traffic systems and how they engineer their cities. In a real sense, that is, in an evidence-based way, the Netherlands is more moral than the US, again, as it pertains to their traffic systems. This is an apples-to-apples -apples comparison. As it turns out, blaming people and punishing them for their transgressions doesn't make it any safer to walk or drive down the street. As a quick and easy analogy, consider for a moment bowling. What's a better way to increase your score? Is it to punish people for having a low score or to put up bumpers? The answer should be obvious. It's much, much easier to engineer the bowling lane to ensure a higher score than it is to become a better bowler through training and punishment. And it's also more moral because no one suffers from being punished. Before we go any further, let's figure out exactly what free will is, isn't, and what science has to say about whether or not we have it. Let's start by giving some definitions. Free will is, quote, the freedom of humans to make choices that are not determined by prior causes, unquote. That's from Merriam-Webster. This is a good place to start. It should be very clear to everyone that people make choices. Cake or ice cream, left or right, steal or earn, and there are many others. People clearly make choices every day. The question is, are those choices determined by prior causes? Let's start by understanding how the human mind generates its choices. Please take a moment and think of a name. Maybe this will be the name you choose for your soon-to-be son or daughter. Take as much time as you need to produce this name in your mind. But as you do, make sure to pay attention to how that name appears in your mind. Where does it come from? As you think of the different names, Paul, Sam, Josh, Sarah, Beth, notice how they just appear in your mind, just like the list of names I spoke aloud. I said the name, and you saw it appear in your mind. So now, 
Think of a new name, not the same name from before. What is that process in your mind? The name just appears, seemingly out of nowhere. You no more authored that name that you're thinking right now in your mind than you authored the name I gave you in my list of names from before. Put a pin in that for a moment. Notice that all these names have something in common. You know of their existence. But what about the name Ishmael? You know that the name Ishmael exists also, but for some reason it didn't occur to you. So the question is, did you have the free will to choose Ishmael if that name never occurs to you? Hmm. What about a name that you don't even know exists? A name you've never heard or didn't know could be a name. Do you have the free will to pick those names? Let's put a pin in that for a moment as well. Another question to ask is, where was your free will to generate the names that did occur to you? Your experience when thinking of those names was that they just appeared in your mind. You don't know where from or why. And more importantly, you don't know why Ishmael didn't appear in your mind either. Now, instead of coming up with the names, consider something more obviously connected to morality. Let's say that you are alone with a child and you're trying to figure out what to do next. Perhaps your brain comes up with a few options. You could watch a movie or cook a meal together or go out to the nearest park and play on the swings. One thing that never occurs to you is to beat the child until they are unconscious and then leave and go out drinking. Why not? Why didn't you consider that option? You know that beating the child and leaving is an option, just like the name Ishmael was an option, but it never occurred to you. Now, you might be thinking, well, of course it didn't. I would never beat a child and then leave them to go out drinking. That would be immoral. But that reaction that you just had is not you exercising your free will. You're just not the kind of person that would do such a thing. You don't know why. It just never occurred to you. And you cannot take credit for the fact that your brain never produces this option. After all, you didn't make your brain. You didn't make it a morally normal brain either. The kind of brain that would never even consider beating a child unconscious. So it doesn't make any sense for you to take credit for not thinking this way. And the reason you don't think this way isn't because of your free will. It's because your parents weren't psychopaths and they didn't beat you. And in many, if not all, of the social situations you found yourself in over the past years, you were not victimized and made to suffer. In other words, you were never subjected to the many reliable ways we know of to create the kinds of people that would beat a child unconscious and then leave them alone to go out drinking. And again, none of this has to do with your free will. But here's the catch. The same is true if you had chosen to beat the child unconscious and go out drinking. The 1.2% of adult men and the 0.3% of adult women who we know to be psychopaths aren't using their free will to make their decisions either. No matter how vile or outlandish those psychopaths seem to us, they too didn't make their brains, nor did they choose their DNA, nor did they raise themselves. They didn't have any control over the circumstances that led to their psychopathy. And just like you didn't have any control to make the choice to beat the child and leave them alone to go out drinking, neither did the psychopath have to do the opposite. It simply didn't occur to them to do otherwise. And all the other ingredients their brains needed to allow them to feel compassion 
for the child or remorse for beating them or even the ability to say no to drugs and alcohol could not be willed into existence by the psychopath. No more than you could will into existence the impulse to beat a child unconscious. And all the science we have on this topic supports this conclusion, specifically the neuroscience. There have been multiple peer-reviewed studies demonstrating that our subconscious minds decide what we will do sometime before we become consciously aware of our decisions. So just like our minds are, at this very moment, subconsciously regulating our heart's beating without us being aware of it, it is also deciding what our next action or thought will be. And again, we have no control over this process. Given the scientific data, it is now impossible to say that we have free will. But then, what accounts for our ability to change the outcome of our futures? Can we in fact do something today to change who we are or what we will become in the future? It is a scientific fact that the universe is deterministic in nature. Everything we know in science is based on cause and effect. And those causes stretch into our past right up to the Planck time. So we can say with confidence that our current situation and the circumstances we find ourselves in today were made possible and were preceded by a long series of historical causes. And that is the same for all our evidence-based science. As we discussed before, many, if not all, of your current circumstances are the way they are because of factors that were determined and are completely out of your control to change. Again, you didn't choose your parents, your DNA, how you were raised, or where. Those causes, as with all causes, are firmly placed in the past. A past that we no longer have access to, and therefore cannot change. But we can, and should, change our present. And we can accomplish this in a couple of ways. What we must do above all is create a cause today that will have a reliably positive moral effect in the future. So we can accomplish this by implementing systems like the ones I referred to earlier. Just like with our bowling analogy, if our goal is to increase the number of pins we knock down, all we need to do today is to design a system for keeping the ball out of the gutter. Then tomorrow, we can improve on that system and change the shape of the bumpers so that they direct the ball into the strike zone. That is, between the 1 and 3 pin at an angle of between 4 and 6 degrees. If we engineer the bumpers in such a way that the ball hits the strike zone at the correct angle every time, then we maximize our potential for knocking down all the pins each time we roll the ball. You get the point. The more evidence we take into account, the more likely we are to engineer a system that guarantees success. And by acting today, in the present time, by setting up a cause that will reliably knock down the pins, we ensure our success tomorrow. This is perhaps the most reliable way to change our futures for the better. But there is another way. As we discussed earlier, thoughts often come into our brains randomly and without any rhyme or reason. And these random thoughts can change how we think in a process we sometimes call inspiration. Take DNA as an analogy. The process of cell replication using DNA is an example of a deterministic system that changes its future outcome through random chance. As we all know, DNA replicates itself. That replication process is determined. 
It's determined by the laws of physics and chemistry and acts according to those natural processes and is restricted by them as well. For instance, DNA will never fail to attempt to replicate itself exactly. So if it is the DNA of a human being, it will only ever produce human DNA. However, every so often and by chance, it changes the code that it replicates. This random mistake in replication can lead to all manner of change to the cell in the long run. Over the epochs of time that have passed since DNA has been replicating, it has changed into countless unique beings, all with their own unique traits. Change similar to this can happen to you in your life because of the nature of your mind and inspiration. In other words, you may change your future if you become inspired to do so. That inspiration may be completely out of the blue, or it may be influenced by your everyday experience, but something randomly occurred to you, and now you're convinced that you need to act. Your mind has determined that you need to make a change. To illustrate the power of inspiration and the change that can follow, consider Albert Einstein. One day, in accordance with all his education and training, he became convinced that space-time was curved. The idea flooded his mind, as did its implications and mathematics. He became convinced that curved space-time was the true nature of the universe, and he spent the rest of his life demonstrating that this idea was, in fact, true. So all the determined aspects of Einstein's history were in place, as they are with all of us. Everything that made up who he was and how his mind works was out of his control, as was his moment of inspiration. The idea just materialized in his brain, much like the name you chose earlier. For some reason, this inspiration changed Einstein's mind, and he decided to act. And those actions changed almost everything that followed. One important aspect to keep in mind here is that anyone could have thought of Einstein's theory given the correct education, but for no reason at all, due to random chance mixed with a series of, deter of determined past events, it was Einstein that pioneered his new model of physics. So now that we understand that we don't have free will, and that our current circumstances are largely out of our control, but that we can change our futures through random chance and careful planning, what are the moral implications of these facts, and what are our moral conclusions? Right away, some conclusions should jump out at you. In light of the facts we've just shared, I've just shared with you, hating criminals and thus devising systems to punish them doesn't make much sense. They are just products of their determined pasts and a culmination of causes that they had no control over. So instead of devising prison systems to punish them where they languish away and suffer needlessly, a sound moral system should be implemented to inspire them, educate them, support them, and ultimately set them up for success. Even if that success doesn't include them being allowed to re-enter society and participate with the rest of us. While their actions are not their fault, they have identified themselves as the kind of person that will, that will cause great suffering in certain situations, and we need to protect ourselves from people like that. Also, we need to do everything we can to engage with and educate ourselves on the evidence that human systems generate. It's possible to create valuable, moral, and efficient social systems 
that set up those that live within that system for success. If we engage with the evidence, the human data sets, and engineer a social system so that it guarantees success, we can positively change the future for the better. Societies can improve. It is possible. And when we engage with evidence and reality on reality's terms, we find that we are smart enough to devise a system that will ensure that we thrive. Lastly, we should be engaging with the evidence each and every chance we get with the intention of becoming inspired. We should document that inspiration and test it to find out if it coincides with reality. If evidence supports our inspiration, then we should implement it with the goal of bettering ourselves and those we love. Ultimately, it's our inspiration that leads us to change our lives. And when we couple that change with well-planned social systems, causing our futures to change in reliable ways, all of our lives are improved. Ultimately, we have to engage with the following facts. Through the scientific method, we have identified reliable ways to make people evil, whether it's by their genetics or their upbringing or both. We know how to make an evil person. On the, on the contrary, we also know how compassionate good people are made. We have information to help guide us in building social systems that produce good people and avoid producing bad people. So the question becomes, do we take that information and use it to ensure that good people result from our systems, or do we continue to maintain the systems we've inherited from our forebearers, who didn't know what we know and were just doing the best they could? The answer should be clear. In the next episode, we're going to finish out the Gospels with the fourth Gospel. This Gospel will cover intellectual honesty, intellectual maturity, and the importance of becoming an adult. From there, we will conclude this series in Revelations. Thank you, and this has been Ear Seduction.